Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. Happy New Year, everyone. It's our first Sunday of 2024. Can you believe it? Uh, so this is, this is a, a significant time for us to gather. It's great to see you guys all here, uh, seeing some old friends and meeting some new ones. Uh, also, this is a big Sunday because this is the day, six years ago, we had our first Light Church service. So happy birthday, Light Church, six years old. Um, and man, I remember that first night. We had two night gatherings over at our chapel, and gosh, I was so nervous. I'm like, Is, will anyone come? And then they came, and then I was sure they wouldn't come the next week. And, um, but it was just it was so special. And so I, I just, uh, some of our staff texted us this morning, just some photos of that first night. And I was just, just seeing this room, it just really moves me, not just because of who, the amount of people that are here, but who's in this room and the friendships that I didn't have six years ago and the stories that I've learned and the many of you following Jesus for the first time and the open tables that have started. And it's just, it's so incredible. Um, one thing before we dive into the sermon this morning is as this is the first Sunday of the year, um, I was thinking about our act of worship through generosity and through giving. And there's a biblical principle called the giving of your first fruits. And this is where the, the Israelites who were given this charge at that time were largely farmers. And there is this rule that in Leviticus chapter 23, you would bring the, your first harvest to the temple, present it to the priest, and give it unto the Lord. And this was a display of your obedience ultimately to what the Lord asked but ultimately of your trust. And I learned this week that the Hebrew word, bikurim, which means first fruit, is literally translated promise to come. So you would start off your harvest season, think of you worked all year long to create this harvest, and you would start the harvest season bringing your bikurim, your promise to come to the Lord. And in your trust, say, Lord, I'm giving this to you, trusting that all the harvest that comes after this moment is a result from your goodness and your generosity. And so I just thought what an amazing way that we could start as a church this year, that again, if this is your home and, and you are a follower of Jesus, that this offering uniquely could be a first fruits offering. This could be a bikram. This could be something where we say, Lord, this is my promise to come. I'm giving this to you with an expectation, Lord, that you are the one who always provides for me through your generosity and through your love. And as we do that, this is something that is unique in that we say, Lord, we trust you with this year. So I'm just going to go ahead and pray and invite you to worship the Lord in that way. Father, we thank you so much that as we are people who are designed to work and to till soil and to harvest and to cultivate, um, we are first and foremost created to worship. And Lord, that our worship could look like the fruit of what we have sown would be something that we can bring back to you as an offering, Lord Jesus, saying this is our, not only our sacrifice, this is our trust in the promise to come. 
And Lord, I pray that as we do that this year, as we give unto you, as we begin this year saying, Lord, this is your year. It belongs to you. Lord, that we would see a deeper level of peace, Lord God, as we just say, God, you are the one who deserves our trust. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, we are starting a brand new series uh, called Thou Shall Be Free. We're going to be studying through the Ten Commandments. Who's pumped? <laughs> right? I know. You guys are like, gosh, I need some more rules in my life. I just cannot wait to hear this. Uh, to be honest, I've never taught a series through the Ten Commandments before. Uh, but this is, as a, a teaching team, we've started to dive into this. I have felt my soul come alive at the goodness and the kindness of God to instruct his people 3,500 years ago on what does it mean to be his people? What does it mean for us to follow him? And what we're going to discover this week and over the next 10 weeks is that God not only is wise in how he orders his people and his society, but he is kind and loving and gracious. And so my hope is whether you are familiar with the Ten Commandments, you grew up learning them in Sunday school, whether you've heard about them, whether you're opposed to them and they feel archaic or oppressive, whether you're theologically confused on what to do with them because it's a part of the old covenant, isn't it? that we would come and approach this holy and sacred text with fresh eyes and a fresh heart. So before we dive into the sermon, we're just going to read the text. We're going to read Exodus 21 through 17. Uh, So if you're able and willing, would you stand to your feet as we read the word of the Lord this morning? Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Bring the consequence of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing faithful love to a thousand generations to those who love me and keep my commands. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and to do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female servants, your livestock or the resident alien who is within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath and declared it holy. Honor your father and your mother so that you may have a long life in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony against your neighbor, do not covet your neighbor's house, do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male or female servants, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. 
This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In 1980, the Supreme Court ruled that the Ten Commandments had to be removed from public schools because it was a violation of the, the amendment of separation of church and state. That decision altered what was at one point a fixture in our nation and has continued to be a legal battle in terms of where does it belong in our society. And there's all sorts of opinions going on. And even as recently as 2015, the Oklahoma Supreme Court House ruled that it's unconstitutional to display the Ten Commandments on a state house ground. So even less than 10 years ago, there are still legal battles in terms of where we can display the Ten Commandments. But other than recently, for a large part of our nation's history and a large part of those who have been influenced by Christianity, the Ten Commandments, both in the Judeo world and the Christian world, has sat as central in terms of what does it mean to live? What is right? What is our sense of morality? It's been looked at and it's been revered, but as we approach this series, I have to admit, doing a series on the Ten Commandments feels a, a bit awkward. Um, I don't feel ashamed of it. Um, I'm, very, I'm very excited to dive into it, but I recognize that within this space, of our time and history and culture, and talking about Ten Commandments that were given 3,500 years ago feels a little bit unique in terms of to figure out where do they sit, what do we do with them. And I, th- and I think it's odd because of two things. One is the social makeup of our postmodern world. The secularization and what we've done and just rules in general seem to hold a different place than they did even a decade ago. And the second thing that makes us a bit awkward is our theological framework. There's a lot of confusion in terms of what to do with the Old Testament, period. What do we do with these Ten Commandments? So before we dive into the first commandment, I just want to address those two things, our our social makeup of the day, and then our theological framework that many of us have inherited, so that we can be able to move forward. Socially speaking, we live in a world marked by two different trains of thoughts. One is antinomianism, and the other one is autonomy. Antinomianism comes from two words, anti, against, nomianism, the law. So we live in a world that is against the law. We don't like rules. We don't like the law. We don't like institutions. We don't like feeling oppressed. And that is not a political statement as much as it's very much in the fabric of our country. We don't want to be told what to do. So antinomianism is alive and well within the culture that this message is being taught at, the culture in which you and I live. The second thing that marks our culture is autonomy, auto meaning self, and nomi meaning law, self-law. Autonomy means I make my law. I'm the one who gets to figure out what is right and wrong. And so we show up this morning hearing a sermon on the Ten Commandments, largely influenced by antinomianism and autonomy. We live in a culture that wants to be anti-law, and we live in a culture that wants to have self-law. And those two are at play all the time in the world you and I inhabit. But as we, as a culture, continue to buck up against any sort of law that come against what we want personally, or just laws in and of themselves, 
there seems to be an increased longing for rules and order. A couple of ways we've seen this is the book that sold the most over the past 10 years was written by Jordan Peterson that was called 12 Rules of Life, right? God only gave us 10. Peterson gave us 12. And then he wrote a sequel called 12 More Rules for Life. So apparently there's 24 um, in his book. But both in the U.S., Canada, and the U.K., both of these books sat as the number one best-selling books for weeks on end. That as a culture, we're actually craving for someone to give us order, for someone to give us rules. And at the very same time, we're not really sure if we want them at all. And so, again, you see that when we come into a conversation around the Ten Commandments, it's a little bit precarious. But I think it's also really, really important because rather than looking to the New York Times bestselling list to give us a new set of laws, what would it look like for us to revisit and dust off and to rediscover the beauty of something that has lasted 3,500 years in multiple different cultures and different waves of history? What's God's heart in the middle of that? Because there is something in us that, that longs for rules. For instance, Geninized marriage and the health of it is predicated on the agreement around certain rules. This, this language is called covenant. That we've decided that we are going to forsake all others in order to be faithful to one another, that in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer, that we are going to be faithful to one another. And that within those rules... What culture would say is restrictive and oppressive, we actually find freedom. And this is where rules are at their best. Also, rules is largely what makes us human. I came across an article this week that the BBC put out, and it was titled, Could We Live in a World Without Rules? Now, I'm going to read you an excerpt of it. This is not a Christian article, but from a secular scientific point of view, this is what they wrote. While humans establish and maintain rules by punishing rule violations, chimpanzees, the closest mammal relative, do not. Chimps may retaliate when their food is stolen, but crucially, they don't punish food stealing in general, even if the victim is a close relative. Despite our protest to the contrary, rules seem hardwired into our DNA. In fact, our species' ability to latch onto and enforce arbitrary rules is crucial to, our, to the success of our species. And so there seems to be something, again, from, from a scientific perspective, that makes, this makes us unique. is how we latch onto and how we hold on to rules. Even if you were to look at nature, the difference between a flood and a river are the banks. The minute the water overflows the banks, it becomes a flood and it becomes an incredible source of damage. But as long as there are banks, that river is able to flow freely, clearly, and is a source of life, and is a source of beauty. And so our hope as a church is that we be able to come recognizing our social baggage, but also to come with a level of curiosity to say, well, maybe antinomianism and autonomy are not the best things to hold on to. Maybe what we need is to actually just rediscover or discover for the first time the beauty of the riverbanks God gave us as his creation. Secondly, that's, that's our social element. The theological element, I just want to address quickly here, 
in terms of um, many of us who grew up with an evangelical or a Protestant or Reformed background um, have heard a lot of negative language around the law. A lot of negative language around the Old Covenant, that we've been freed from the law, that we live in the New Testament, a new covenant. And, and with that, and there's a lot of Bible verses that speak to that, it leaves us with a sense of why would we be looking at the Ten Commandments? What is that? I mean, aren't we living in a different time because of what Jesus came to bring? And so I want to just address that question. Um, it's going to be quickly. We're going to do a fly by of the role of the Old Testament rules throughout the Bible. The first place I want to begin is that when these rules were given and the Ten Commandments were given by God, speaking to Moses and given to the people, it, it created a holiday. It's called Shavat or Pentecost. It's 50 days after the Passover. So after Israel is rescued from Egypt, from the, the blood of the Lamb is over the door that, that allows the, the angel of death to pass over, they cross through the Red Sea, they end up at Mount Sinai 50 days later, which is Pentes, where we get the idea of Pentecost, this is when they're given the Ten Commandments. And that holiday is still celebrated. It's one of the three major feasts the Jewish people celebrate. It's still celebrated today. And the overarching theme of that day is joy. Now, think about that. The day marked with joy, the feast marked with joy, is the ones we celebrate the giving of rules, giving of the law, which again just shows you how drastically uh, different the culture is in which this was initially received. But even David, hundreds of years after the fact, writes this in Psalm 119. He says, I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all the riches. I mean, when's the last time you got your Christmas bonus and then you had the Bible and you're just like, this gives me so much more joy. Levitical laws... Man, it just really, just really excites me. This is what David is saying. He says, over all the riches that I have as king, I rejoice greater in the revelation of your decrees. I'll meditate on your precepts and I think about your days. I will delight in your statutes. I mean, you cannot read the Psalms without David just being so stoked on the Bible. He loves God's law. And I don't know about you, I, I picked this up as a teenager, I'm like, I'm missing something. I mean, I, I'm happy for him. I don't know if that same sort of joy bubbles up in me the way it does for David. So that to pique our curiosity. Now, when people rejected God's law, rejected God's commandments, the punishment, let me say this back, the promise of when you obey God's law was the promised land. It was land. Meaning that when you rejected God's law, the ultimate punishment was exile. So when the people of God rejected God's law, generation after generation, eventually the punishment that came was an exile from the land. While Israel is in exile because of their refusal to follow God's law, the prophet Jeremiah writes this prophecy. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them from the land or from the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. 
This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. So the Old Testament has a story arc of man's, or God's blessing, man's rebellion, God's intervention with the renewal of, of covenant rules, his, his people's national rejection of them, them in exile, and the Old Testament ends with them in exile. But while they're in exile, there's these promises, one of them being, I'm going to make a new covenant, but instead of writing this on tablets of stone, I'm going to write it on their heart. So right here, we do not say God saying rules were a bad idea. That didn't work. What he says is, I'm changing the tablet. Instead of writing them on stone, I'm going to write them on the human heart. Q, 400 years after this, Jesus shows up on the scene. And in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he says these words. He says, do not think that I came to abolish the law of the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to, and here's the key word, but to fulfill them. For I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. And so what Jesus says is, the law is not the problem. Our inability to follow it was. So I have come to fulfill, not to abolish it, but to fulfill it. I'm going to come and handle the part that was broken. I'm going to be the completion of that. And so he does this. He does this through his life. He lived a perfect life, followed the law perfectly. He then died as if he had broken every law, which was our penalty, and then rose again to invite us, our, us in to carry upon his promise of resurrection. But the story doesn't end there. 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead, 50 days after that Passover, the great Passover, comes the Jewish holiday of Shabbat. And the Jewish holiday of Shabbat is when they celebrate what? The giving of the Ten Commandments. And it was on this day that Acts chapter 2 records an entirely different Mount Sinai experience. Acts chapter 2 verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived... They were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. By the way, that's wording that was used on Mount Sinai. And it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on... Now, this, this again, this, was, this is all Exodus language. Fire coming down on the mountain. Moses' face was glowing. But this is a separation here at the end of verse 3. Separated and rested on each one of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So, again, I want you to catch this. This is the second Shabbat. Pentecost is the second giving of the covenant terms. The first, Moses was marked by the Holy Spirit. The second, all of God's people were, which is the fulfillment of Jeremiah that all of a sudden God would write his law on their hearts, that anyone who welcomes 
Jesus Christ as Savior now all of a sudden has the gift of the Holy Spirit to lead and to navigate them through life, not to live under a certain set of rules, but for those rules to actually manifest inside their own heart. This is where the conviction of the Holy Spirit and the leading of the Holy Spirit begins to happen in, in their life. And so why do we celebrate, the, or why are we going to spend 10 weeks studying 10 commandments in the Old Testament? Well, because there's something there we don't want to miss. There's something of God's heart that there is to be revealed. We're not going to have these like permanently like, you know, stapled up in La Paloma. Don't worry, Alan. Um, but my hope is that at the end of those 10 weeks, we recognize that these are alive and active in our heart because of what Jesus has done. This past week, um, I got to fulfill a lifelong dream where I got to take all four of my kids snowboarding for the first time. I know. It was as chaotic <laughs> and fun as you can imagine. Yeah, try, trying to like teach four kids how to like do bindings and to like lace up boots and like realizing that we didn't pay for like you know snowboard school, so it's just like this guy, you know. Um, it's like, all right, here's what you do, you know, and like use your heel. I was like, what's that? I'm like. You'll figure it out. Go. <laughs> um, but it was so fun. And, uh, but the first 30 minutes of the day was telling them rules. Not because I wanted them to not have fun, but because I wanted them to have fun. I'm like, learn these rules. Um, learn how to stop. Learn how to steer. Right? Throw your shoulder. Use your toe edge and your heel edge in this sort of way so that you can be able to do it. And then the next three hours are, are me kind of snowboarding alongside them, coaching them, like, that was good, try this, and like, oh, great heel edge, you know, feather down the mountain like this, and I'm trying to coach them up, and, and by the end of the day, Jubilee um, had, had, like, the longest stint, and so I'm like, okay, do you want to go off the bunny slope and go on, like, a regular, um, like, a, a regular hill, and she's, like, kind of nervous, she's like, you think I'm ready? I'm like, yeah, and, and we... And so we get up, you know, the, like the next one up is like a green, you know. It's like we get up there and like, but her eyes are like so big. She's like, oh my gosh, what have you done? You know, it's like a double black diamond it feels like in her mind. And then we get there and, and somehow it escaped my mind that on the bunny slope she was doing great, but she had never learned how to like properly stop on her heels. And I'm like, oh, I, I probably should have figured that out before I brought you up here. And so 30 feet down, she's in tears. She's like, I don't know how to do, like, I don't, this is too big and this is too steep for me. And so, so Jen's like, why don't you just go behind her and like help her? And so I go behind her and so she's in front of me. We're both facing forward and I, and I have my, my arms underneath her arms. And we start to like do this together. And we start to go down the, the hill in this moment. And, and all of a sudden those tears all of a sudden turned to confidence. She's like, and she's learning this more and more. And even at the end, I'm like, okay, you want to try it yourself? She's like, no, we can keep doing this together. <laughs> um, but that, that story, uh, very much for me, illustrates the giving of the Holy Spirit in order to help us live out the rule and the law of God. It was one thing, it was almost like the, the Israelites, for hundreds of years, had, had the rules, had the law. And, but there was something else that we needed. 
We needed the very presence of God that came through the Holy Spirit to actually help us navigate some of those things. This is how you ought to live. This is what Paul had in mind when he says, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And this is the beautiful gift. And so we will look at the the Ten Commandments together, but again, we we are not here to lean into fundamentalism, which is we love rules for rules' sake. We're not here to lean into progressivism, which says all rules are bad. We're here to say, God gave these to reveal his heart. We cannot keep them apart from him. We need the Holy Spirit in order for us to navigate this hill, in order for us to see the beauty and the goodness and the gift in these rules. And so for this week and the next nine, our hope is, again, this, would not, this wouldn't cultivate legalism, and it wouldn't cultivate licentiousness, this idea of a rejection of rules, but rather we would find ourselves saying, oh, this is the beautiful order in which God invited us to do, and which leads us to our first command. And the reason it's the first command is because if we get this command right, all the other ones fall into place. If we don't get this one right, we will either reject the laws or we will become legalistic in them. So let's go back to Exodus chapter 20. And how the Ten Commandments start is so critical. It's so vital. So pay attention. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. So three things that these simple verses reveal. Number one, the Ten Commandments are about relationship. Secondly, the Ten Commandments commandments are have a purpose and that purpose is rescue it's freedom and thirdly the 10 commandments begin with a command to revere the lord the 10 commandments are about relationship rescue and reverence and if we get these three this will tee up the next nine that we'll cover over the next few weeks number one let's begin with this idea of relationship The opening line says, I am the Lord your God. Stop right there. I am Yahweh, the Lord your God. Now, why is this significant? Because he does not say this at the end. He does not say, here are ten commandments. If you keep them, I am the Lord your God. He says, I am the Lord your God, full stop. I already have relationship with you. I already rescued you. I've already done the work to bring you to this point. This is such a critical thing to build everything else on because God is not after people who are just able to give him outward obedience. He's predicating everything on the first and foremost reality that he desires relationship. This isn't just a theological theme for this passage. This is the theological theme for the Bible. God is radically after relationship with you, with me, with his creation. It's from the very first page to the very last page of scripture. And everything, the entire story arc of scripture is built around this desire for us to be one, united with, reconciled back with God. 
So he begins this covenant document with these words, I am yours. You are mine. I am the Lord, your God. Before we get into the stuff, the rules, how to cultivate freedom in your life, would you know this? I am the Lord, your God. The next Ten Commandments that will come from them reveal who that, what that God is like. It reveals his character. All of these things are going to make sense in light of God's face. So think about this. When it says, you shall not bear false witness. Why? Because I, your God, will not. I will be utterly reliable. I mean what I say, and I say what I mean. Why does he say, you shall not commit adultery? Because he says, I, your God, will not. I am utterly faithful. I keep my commitments. I protect my relationships. Do you see what's happening here? God is saying, these are not just ten rules for you. These are ten windows into my nature. And when you recognize I alone am your God, you will begin to start seeing more clearly the next things that are going to be saying. And why is this so important for that specific group that are hearing this? Because they just came from where? Egypt. Who was the king slash deity of Egypt at that time? Pharaoh. My friends, pharaohs still exist. What are the pharaohs of your life? What are the other idols? What are the other forces in your life that continue to ask you to bow to them day in and day out? And this morning, God would say to you, I and I alone am your God. None of these other things, none of these other cultural pressures deserve to be your God. That shame from your past does not deserve to be your God. Your family of origin does not deserve to be your God. Your success and achievement cannot be your God because anything, other, anything else that operates as your God will ultimately leave you unsatisfied and lead to your death. But when I and I alone become your God, then everything else in your life will begin to start being aligned. E. Stanley Jones says, the law is not an imposition on the human species. It is an exposition of how the human species was created to live. I love this. Because when we ignore God's laws, it's actually not against just ignoring God. We're actually going against the very grain of the universe. Or how C.S. Lewis said this, you can't go against the grain of the universe and not expect to get splinters. This is why we're studying the Ten Commandments. Because we're learning about what God is like and we're also learning about what reality is like. What does it mean for us to live and to be human? The Ten Commandments are first and foremost about relationship. The second thing, the Ten Commandments are about rescue. The whole series is titled, Thou Shall Be Free. The thou shalt and the thou shalt not are all working towards this idea of freedom. Why is this a big deal? I love what one theologian says. It's one thing to get Israel out of Egypt. It's an entirely different thing to get Egypt out of Israel. And this is what God is doing. Because for 400 years, generations past, all you have known is the oppression of slavery. You've never had a day off. And so God says, I want you to take a Sabbath. No, I command you to stop. 
You've been surrounded by, uh, by pyramids and, and massive, intricate statues, and God says, don't make any images. Don't make anything that's been created on the, in the heavens or on the earth below. I, I am your God. You've been told your entire life that all you're good for is your property, is your work. And if you, and if you cannot perform anymore, then you're as good as dead. And God says, we are different. You shall not murder. You live for generations looking at the Egyptians, wishing that you could be them, but we're going to be people who does not covet one another, what we have. Because what God is doing is he didn't just free them as an event, he's teaching them how to live in freedom. How beautiful that God would not just give them an incredible radical event to show his might and power and then leave them abandoned in the desert to figure out what it's like to be a a social group. He's like, I'm going to teach you how to be free. I'm going to teach you what it's like to live in this. And And this is the beautiful story of the Exodus, right? God freed them and he teaches them to live free. The first one is he freed them. And I want to pause right here just for a moment because for the Israelites, they needed a rescuer and that rescuer came through the form of Moses. But it wasn't just Israel who needed freeing. It's all of us. It's humanity. But we weren't given the archetype of Moses. We were given the actual, the actual substance of Jesus who was the ultimate Moses. He came and freed all of us and gave us that invitation. That lamb that was put over the doorpost in order for the Israelites to flee from Egypt, Jesus became that spotless lamb that we'd be covered underneath his blood and be given the invitation to not just cross through the Red Sea, but to cross from death to life. And so I want to pause right here because if you're showing up and you're like, hey, first Sunday of the year, I'm going to try this church thing out. I just want to let you know, this God and this gospel is about rescue. You're looking for a rescuer. And it might be a relationship, it might be a person, it might be an occupation, it might be an achievement, it might be yourself and your own willpower. But my friends, I will tell you, it will fail you. You were designed for a more powerful rescuer, and that came through the person of Jesus. He is our Moses. He is the one that through his blood we are now been covered and we have been brought across the Red Sea from death to life into a promised land. And today is the day that he wants to extend that to you. And if you have not given your life over to Jesus, this is not an obligation or twisting of your arm. It is an invitation. If you are tired of all of the other false rescuers of your life, then would today be the day of salvation where you call on the name of Jesus? But also know this, for those of us who have called on the name of Jesus, he is our rescuer. Please hear me. He is not satisfied with a rescuing event. He is is obsessed with his people living freely. This is why in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, for freedom's sake, Christ set us free. I mean, it sounds a bit redundant, doesn't it? Why did Christ set us free? To be free. And then he gives them this exhortation. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. Meaning, 
It is possible to have been free and to live as if you're still in Egypt. And Jesus is radically trying to get our attention through his Holy Spirit and through our failed attempts at other types of gods and say, no, no, I am called to, for more than this. The word free right here in Galatians 5, 1 is this beautiful Greek word called eleutheria. And eleutheria literally is a word picture of someone standing at the edge of a great expanse looking out. Christ set us free for that. To, to, be, to finally be unleashed from all of the other false promises and false gods to fully become human and fully alive. G.K. Chesterton, in his book, Orthodox, he says this, the chief aim of Christianity was to give room for good things to run wild. This is what Jesus is inviting us into, is to live free. And then the last thing is that the Ten Commandments are about relationship, they're about rescue, they're about freedom. And then the last thing, the very first thing that he tells the people, have no other gods before me, is about reverence. I couldn't think of a better theme to kick off our year than for all of us to hear, have no other gods. Have no other gods. Everything else falls under this command. Have no other gods. Which means we want gods. We were made to worship. Birds fly, dogs bark, fish swim, humans worship. It's what we do. We find things to worship. Sports teams, right? Sometimes even when they're doing bad, like the suns, you just, there's something in you that wants to praise and worship. People, for sure. a purpose, a passion. We, we were designed to worship. And the Ten Commandments to be recognized as you were made to worship, worship God alone. Drop all of the other things. You see, the, the Ten Commandments, is, this wasn't like an apologetic for the existence of God because everyone at that time, there, there were no atheists back then. They weren't trying to convince you that there is a God. What he was trying to say is not believe in a God. He's trying to say, have your allegiance be towards God and God alone. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, says this, God is not confronting the question of theology, but of loyalty. And my friends, that's where we want to start our year. It's a question of loyalty. Could we come back and remember and say, it is the relationship, it is the rescue, so that we cannot be rescued from something, but rescued for something. And that is ultimately to worship the Lord. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. And as they do, I want to turn our attention to a really, really critical point here. Because if you're here and you hear these words, okay, God wants a relationship with me. He's rescued me to do it. And the very first step is for me to worship God and God alone. Immediately, if you're like me, you can think of other things you've been worshiping. So out the gate, you're not doing great, right? You're like, you're like okay, number one, not, not really nailing. And I, I want you to hear this. That is good news. 
The fact that you cannot keep the first commandment, and let's be honest, you're not going to do great on the other nine either. Meaning that you are in the exact right place. Because Jesus came to handle that problem. He came to be able to look at all of our inability and be able to say, I know you can't worship God alone. So I'm going to come and I'm going to be the perfect display of that for you. And then you, my children, get to be hidden in my righteousness. Jesus is the only one who perfectly displayed what it looked like to give perfect reverence to his Father. And the minute we've said yes to Jesus being our rescue means we have hitched ourselves to his righteousness. No longer our efforts and our ability. Which is why Romans 8 Verse 3 says this, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. I'm going to read that again. So he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law, the law is not bad, The righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us. We do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So because of Jesus, these laws turn away from something that you and I will never be able to do, and they actually turn into promises of what has been accomplished through Jesus. Jesus says, I'll do this. I can do this perfectly. And you find yourself in me, and all of a sudden you discover the beauty of what God designed in order. You've been given the spirit to live it out as a tablet on your heart, and you get to find yourself in the righteous fulfillment of that because of what Jesus has done. And now these 10 commands become 10 promises. I want to read you an excerpt from Daryl Johnson's book, That They May Live. And it's a... Reversal of the Ten Commandments into Ten Promises. It says, I am Yahweh your God who made you and who became one of you and who went to the cross to free you from the consequences of your rebellious heart. And I am Yahweh your God who comes to live with you and in, through, and in you through my spirit. Therefore, because I am who I am, I have done for you what I have done for you. One day you will no longer buck up against the grain of reality. One day you will have no other gods before me. There will be nothing between us. You will have no distorted ideas or images of who I am. You will know me as I truly am. You will not use my name in vain. You will call upon me in every situation and find that I will come to you. You will live a holy, sabbatically balanced life. You will know true rest. You will honor your mother and father. It will go well for you in the land. You will not murder. You will not commit adultery. You will not steal and will not bear false witness. And one day you will not covet. You will be satisfied in and with me. And one day you will love me with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength and you will love your neighbor as yourself and one day you will love one another as I have loved you because of Jesus. Would you stand to your feet with me? I'm going to invite those who are serving communion to come and stand by the table. 
We're going to end this service and the first Sunday that we gather together 2024 at the table. You're going to come and receive a small piece of bread and a cup. And as you return to your seat, I was reading this morning in John chapter 13, how Jesus on this night took off his outer garment, placed on a towel, and began to wash the feet of his disciples. He didn't just give bread and a cup. But he was modeling them for he was modeling them something. Peter says, You can't do this. Peter says, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. So this is why we're going to come to the table. We're coming to the table because every single one of us in this room have found other gods. But we come to the table where the one and only God has come to wash not only our feet, but our sin. We're going to come to the table and we're going to not only be able to come under commandments, we're going to be able to come under Christ, His righteousness. And as we do, we're going to have our time of, of communion and worship. And before we leave, we will say for this year, by the help of the Holy Spirit, would this be a year marked not by other gods, but you and you alone, Jesus, being the one we worship. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for the bread and the cup. We thank you for your good, beautiful order, your covenant commands. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the one who has not only freed us, but has showed us how to live freely. Lord, if there's anyone in this room this morning that came here this morning and wants to say, Jesus, I want you to be my rescuer. I want my life to be an offering in response. Lord, I pray that right now that their heart would surrender itself over to you. That as they come to this table, it won't become come as a ritual, come in relationship. And Lord, for all of us, I pray that you would allow today to be a day that we pivot We start this year consecrated. Lord, you are our God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.